Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with uh, Mark Hughes, EMEA Manager with Chargeify. How are you doing, Mark? Excellent, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Now, you recently opened up a new offices in, uh, in, in, email office in Dublin. Why did you choose Dublin out of all other places in Europe? What was that important? Yeah, absolutely. So even just to begin to introduce myself, as you said, my name is Mark. I'm the regional director for our EMEA or EMEA headquarters here based out of Dublin. So oversee our go-to-market teams such as sales, support, customer success, solutions engineering. And obviously, I am a Dublin native. I'm from Dublin. Uh, but the reason we chose Dublin, obviously, it was a very easy choice. Uh, our CEO, Paul Lynch, who is based in our headquarters in Texas, is actually a Dublin native as well. Yeah. So he has built and sold many businesses in Dublin and Ireland over the years. And um, so when we were seeing high demand for Chargeify in Europe, um, there was no better place to set up shop than Dublin. I guess for Dublin, the thing I'm looking at possibly is the education facility. So when you're hiring staff, it's easier because they've got a good education and also they speak English, and also it's not too far for America. And also when you leave Ireland to go to America, you can do you can do you can do customs customs uh, check in at the Dublin airport as well on Shannon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously Dublin's a great time zone, well educated workforce, like you said, young, hungry workforce, English speaking, eurozone country. So all those kind of tick the box. Um, but as well as that, we've seen over the years that Dublin has become a massive tech hub. So we've seen the Silicon Docs with Google, Facebook being the first movers over here. But since then, there's still some fast-growing tech companies that are even indigenous companies setting up uh, based um, uh, HQ in Dublin with Irish co-founders yeah. and then all the MNCs that are coming across here uh, to set up their European base in Dublin. Yeah, I guess basically what's must be, must be weird opening up during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was very weird, to be honest. So I actually, I was working in Intercom uh, before joining Chargeify earlier this year. So it was three years in Intercom um, and took the jump in um, February of 2020. Um, and I did my whole onboarding over in the HQ in Texas um, for a month. Um, so it was all very weird timing, took the job, uh, came back to Dublin after the onboarding um, first week of March. We took a WeWork up on Harcourt Street, uh, was starting to begin my hiring plan and then sent work from home on the 13th of March. All kind of hires paused for the time being to see kind of the initial implications of COVID as people back then didn't know a lot about it. So yeah, it was very, very weird. You can, I can imagine if you're trying to hire staff and you don't know where you're going to be based yet because if you're in a WeWork, you, you know that long-term-wise you can't be there because how big the company is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the WeWork was good just kind of get, um, yeah, get boots on the ground. But we've kind of since outgrown that and we've gone to a more permanent residency here in... Um, it's William Square, which I was saying to you uh, before we kind of came online. But yeah, we love the new base here. We have um, eight people now. Um, so can hiring gradually um, new kind of sales reps, um, customer success managers, solutions engineers, onboarding specialists. So all kind of client-facing roles. Um, so yeah, so far so good. And then we recently just um, announced last week, I believe it was, uh, that we're hoping to have uh, 30 jobs by 2021. Now, getting back to the Best tech. What do you guys actually do in Chargeify? Yeah, yeah. So Chargeify is billing for B two B SaaS. So if you're a SaaS business and you bill on a recurring basis, be that monthly, quarterly, annually, uh, we're your go to guys. 
Yeah. Um, so there's kind of we say there's three core pillars. So number one being billing, obviously. Uh, the second being subscription management. So obviously giving your kind of team the ability to upgrade and downgrade your customers, uh, change their plans, view past invoices. And then finally, we do give you a suite of analytics in the application as well. So anything from kind of monthly recurring revenue, churn cohorts, forecasting tools, all that good stuff. And you guys linked in with guys like PayPal or Stripe as well? Yeah, yeah. So like we're kind of partners with the likes of uh, Stripe, PayPal, Adyen, GoCardis, all these different payment processors. So what I like to say to people is Chargeify is effectively that logic layer that sits on top of a payment processor like a PayPal or a Stripe. So they're kind of mainly kind of once-off transactions, whereas if you need to bill a certain person on the first of the month, every month for the next two years, we manage all that automation. So in a way, you're a bit like with Salesforce, you can get different add-ons, kind of a bit like that where you can plug and play. Yeah, a bit like that. We do work with Salesforce as well. So Salesforce are a HubSpot. So a lot of people are kind of, they are sales-led B2B SaaS companies. So you can't actually sign up for their product without talking to a sales rep. Um, and if you are kind of your source of truth is your Salesforce account or your HubSpot account, you can actually work with Chargeify. So when someone uh, wins a new deal, they actually create that subscription through Salesforce that automatically sends all that information to Chargeify in case you don't want sales reps going into your billing engine at the end of the day. Yeah, I guess, uh, thinking back about what you guys did 10 years ago, what are you doing? Couldn't we done it new while because technology wasn't cheap and not everyone had a, had a, the ability to access what you guys offer? Yeah, yeah. So like, initially, like Chargeify began as this kind of developer tool. Um, they were built out of a company called um, Grasshopper, who were acquired by Cisco. Um, so they built their own billing tool because no one else was doing it. Yeah. And it's very difficult to manage. Um, so they actually white labeled it, kind of brought it out of uh, Grasshopper to spun off and find it, uh, found its own company, uh, which is Chargeify today. Yeah, and I guess if you're looking back then, I guess when you try to white label a product and sell it on, it must be hard to do that. Whereas now, <clears throat> it's probably easier because the technology is there to be used. Anybody can have it. Like if you got a smartphone in your pocket, you can use it. Whereas years ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, obviously, the addressable market is massive for B2B SaaS. And that's why we see like the SaaS industry luckily hasn't been that badly affected by COVID. Um, so we've obviously been growing uh, our team, not just in Dublin, but in globally, uh, looking to open an office in Sydney uh, very shortly as we kind of expand into the APAC region. But then like there's new hires across our product team yeah. and also um, kind of sales team in the States as well. Yeah, I'm thinking SaaS companies are more ones are more inclined to be used to uh, work in remotely yeah 100% so I, I, I think even yeah I, I was I was a big user of Zoom and Google Hangouts uh, before I now see my mom and dad doing it for their their Zumba classes and their uh, and everything else in between so um, yeah it's kind of well accustomed to the likes of uh, remote work using channels like Slack and Zoom and Hangouts uh, to get our jobs done so it hasn't been a massive culture shock per se now, for me, I've used Zoom in the past, but I used to use Skype a lot more. I haven't used Skype in about five months. I'm not sure when I'll use it again because I've got used to Zoom and Google Hangouts doing the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah it's almost like Zoom has become this like, synonymous term that the likes of like, Hoover for your vacuum cleaner. Um, it's now Zoom for your video conferencing. So they've done really well. Uh, obviously, their stock price kind of um, it shows that over the last few months. Um, since everyone's kind of moved into this new new way of working, yeah. work from home, remote work. I wish if I knew this time last year what was going to happen, I'd invest a lot of money in Zoom. <laughs> so would I, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's certain companies that you, 
at the time, I'm looking back at what they were doing, and I saw it and I thought, how are they going to compete against Skype and Microsoft on Skype and uh, Google on Google Hangouts? How are they going yeah. to be, uh, compete against those guys? Then you got other guys who might say, well, well, we use WhatsApp, we use Slack. But suddenly everyone's doing Zoom. It's Zoom, this Zoom, mm-hmm. that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's strange. Like you can see all the, the kind of, the all these remote tools, the DocuSigns, the Slacks, the Zoom, they're obviously doing very well. And we're very lucky as well in the sense of Chargeify as a business, we're seeing a lot of these traditional companies moving to a SaaS model or a subscription-based model, and that obviously benefits something like Chargeify. If you used to bill your customers just once-off transactions, um, maybe, let's say, example, a coffee shop. We're actually talking to a few kind of coffee shop coffee providers. I won't name any big names, but yeah. um, and they're kind of moving to a SaaS model rather than kind of your, your once-off coffee a day paying a rolling monthly subscription of £10 or €10 Euro a month and having unlimited coffees because they're obviously being able to recognise that revenue up front for the, the next coming months uh, when there is a lot of uncertainty in the economy. So it's like basically going to a Netflix model where you, you're paying a monthly fee and then that's it and you get for that. It's up to you how much you use it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because I, I can just imagine like a... Years ago, Netflix first came out, and they were just basically you rent DVDs and then send them back. That's only one I thought interesting, and then they started doing their own, uh, making their own TV series, and then halfway consume stuff from there. And then they got big name movies on board as well. I thought that, that's great what they're doing there. I think with copy shops, it'll, it'll be the exact same as well. Yeah, now we're definitely seeing uh, like the evolution of billing as we know it. So you mentioned it there, moving from that perpetual license or paying for a DVD or paying for your office subscription as a disc for Microsoft Word and then moving to that cloud-based SaaS model, subscription as a service. And now we actually feel that kind of the future of the subscription economy is going to be around usage-based pricing and paying for what you use essentially. Uh, And that that in the end kind of gives value-based pricing to your end users. So a product that we launched recently this year was event-based billing. So able to pull in kind of real-time data events and attributes, how people are using your app so if we take the Netflix example, rather than paying a flat 10 or 12 quid subscription each month, you're actually paying based on the amount of shows you stream um, and getting really, really granular there because you don't really, you'll never find anyone really complaining about their bill at the end of the day from what yeah. they've used. But like you said, like that kind of gym membership that people are just so used to that you'll pay your 50 quid or 100 quid a month or golf, paying a golf membership, but you never actually use it. Yeah. Um, so that's where I think the kind of the future of that subscription economy is going. And I guess also if you have a mobile device like a, like a wearable device or, 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 a smart, or a smartphone, that's going to be used when you go somewhere to confirm who you are. You just scan it and that's it. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a Ron or that's Mark, yeah. He's, a, he, he's, a, he's able to get this, what, it's, what, it, what, it, what he pays for, what his model is of, of uh, basically what level of, of his, uh, he, he's paying per month for us. So we can give him three copies a month or four or five or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, like obviously um, the way kind of the, the payments model itself is kind of obviously shifting with, with COVID. Um, so we obviously support now the likes of Apple Pay through some of our payment yeah. processes or payment gateways. I think myself, I haven't actually used my wallet once since COVID kicked in. So just Apple Pay on my phone for kind of my Revolut cards and my Visa card. Yeah. I think Bank of Ireland just went live with uh, Apple Pay this week. So that's been a bit of a game changer for me. You know, for me, basically, I've been using Apple Pay for years. And I love when I go with somewhere and have my Apple Watch on me. And it is used to watch the pay for it. it means there's nothing. And people are looking at me going, well, the first time yeah. I used Apple Pay but two years ago when I got my Apple Watch, I said to the woman, uh, I said, have you got an Apple Pay? She goes, yeah, didn't know how it works. So I took out my watch, clicked on it, and it was that. And she was stunned what I could do with a watch. Didn't know much about it. 
I said, yeah. that's how it works. So I've been using a lot of that. And it's for me, it means my wallet is, 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 is stayed at home. I have to, to worry about carrying around with me. I haven't used cash in ages, no. which, is, which is great. So it's, it's handy having that. And also, if you're a business, you don't have the fact that people are handling cash. You don't know where the cash came from. So if someone's got an illness, and also yeah. means you don't have to worry about someone going to the bank carrying lots of cash with them. Going to yeah, yeah. So that it's more safe, secure. I've seen now, vending yeah. machines now have got the way of, of doing that as well, that most, some have seen now don't actually take cash anymore. They use your mobile devices to pay for it. Yeah, it's funny, like, whatever, I think people have kind of copped on to the, uh, the kind of mobile phone, Apple Pay, but even, yeah, doing the kind of Apple Watch myself, yeah. uh, you do get a, a few looks even uh, in shops today that uh, is a bit of a game changer. Yeah, I do, and... And when I paid for it first with Launch in Ireland, I was looking at my bank, also bank, one of the first ones to have it. So I was happy from day one yeah. that I've, I've got that. I was looking at other banks who haven't got it. And I don't see I was thinking, why haven't they got it? I mean, why haven't Michael Brown or AB got it? Because it's it's game-changing technology. Yeah. And I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it when, when businesses look at what you, what you guys do and they don't see how basically SaaS and other things can help them. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's kind of like a mindset change. Like even like I deal with it kind of on a daily basis when we're speaking to customers or prospective customers. Um, it's almost change management more than anything else. So they do have a way of doing things. It is a very manual process. For example, a lot of customers we speak to, they manage everything through Excel and do yeah. manual billing and send the invoices out manually each month. And it's almost kind of saying like, it's almost like a, a change management more so than anything else. It's like by actually taking on a piece of software like Chargeify, we can automate your billing run we can give your billing team back hours in their day weeks in their month almost a month a quarter for doing all your billing um so yeah it's kind of yeah it's just a case of you just need to kind of get that you need to kind of get through the, the benefits yeah. and that you're kind of really solving your problem but to me it's a bit like stripe with a few lines of code stripe have changed how we pay for things and so made them it made it more easier and i guess you're probably trying to do the exact same thing as well yeah yeah so yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I said, kind of um, Stripe is very good for that kind of once-off kind of checkout. Yeah. You kind of pay for something, but then if you need more granular um, billing, like we work with kind of some of the, the most like high-tech B two B SaaS companies around, like your your Stack Overflows, MariaDB, Circle CI. So when you're getting into really granular billing, like that's all well and good for maybe a once-off transaction, but if you're charging people based off API calls yeah. uh, once uh, once a month. Uh, it becomes a lot more detailed because you have to calculate all that usage information. You have to uh, and bill on that, ensure that the line items are all correct, the invoice is going out correctly. Um, so we do give kind of the added uh, flexibility and functionality on top of something like a Stripe. Now getting back to, to what you what Chargeify, I, I assume that when you left uh, Intercom, you assumed that Chargeify are going places because you wouldn't left a great company like Intercom to move, uh, to jump ship unless you knew Chargeify were going to be the next big thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like, I loved uh, being at Intercom. Intercom's a great company, um, and I was very happy there. It was actually quite strange uh, how it all came about. Uh, our CEO, Paul, kind of reached out to me with a very cryptic message on LinkedIn saying, if you'd like to, some, kind of like to work somewhere where you can make a bigger impact on things, love to have a chat, had a few conversations with himself, himself and my boss now, the Chief Revenue Officer, Scott, uh, and really liked the idea they had uh, and the kind of future plans for growing Chargeify. Uh, not just in the US, but obviously further afield. Um, so 90% of our customer base is in the US. So I thought that there was really, there's a lot of potential for kind of going after those EMEA markets, yeah. especially the like of the UKI, Irish, UK markets, France, Germany, Nordics, really strong kind of software companies there. 
Um, so I definitely think that they're on to, to good things. But also it's the people in the company as well. Uh, I think the management team, the exec team, leadership team are all well-tenured and really great people. Uh, and I think that with the kind of, there was a kind of a, a changeover of, of execs and with that, it seemed like a really exciting time to join Chartify. You know, so I guess with Paul Lynch's previous experience with other companies who he's worked with and sold on, that sets me, this is a guy I would work with, I can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I'm young in my career. I kind of, I said that to Paul, obviously, this is a great opportunity to get access to kind of leading a team and building out uh, an office um, very young on in my career. But obviously, to kind of lead on someone like himself as a mentor uh, to kind of um, better myself and kind of upskill in my own career. Yeah, because at times... Uh, there's very few tech entrepreneurs who've done what he's done, so it's good to have someone that, that you can lean on and, and can give you advice and make you grow as a person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I saw it firsthand, obviously, in Intercom, like the likes of Des Trainer, uh, and it was amazing being around someone like him who's like a tech icon in the Dublin tech scene and yeah. him speaking at all hands and, and um, all the kind of different uh, personas that are in, in Intercom and have got it to this level and are continuing to, to grow Intercom and now even kind of... Intercom, when I joined, was about 300 employees and there was two offices between Dublin and San Francisco. When I left, there was about 900 or 1,000 yeah. employees, five offices, um, all open Chicago, Sydney, uh, London, etc. Uh, so I was kind of, I really was interested in getting to something a bit smaller, a bit more startup-y, charge of 150 employees, obviously continuing to grow. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of growth potential there. and uh, We do have kind of a really flat work structure. So anyone can talk to anyone. There's no egos. Like anyone can slack the CEO, slack any of the, the C-suite, etc. Um, and yeah, everyone just kind of gets stuff done. Well, I guess basically it's changing in how Second Valley used to be. I mean, you got companies who are now basically, but like you're saying, they're just uh, allowing you the opportunity to go and talk to anybody and speak your mind. Whereas years ago, if you were in IBM, you mightn't have got that. Whereas something like Apple came in, Apple kind of changed how things were done in a way that it made a more that you want to talk to Steve Jobs that's possible, you want to talk to something that's possible and you're and, and following through today that a lot of startups are following that kind of vision of, of, of a new way of doing things. Yeah, yeah, I think like open and collaborative working, like you can even talk to anyone you want nowadays through the mediums of like Twitter, it's a yeah. totally different kind of age we're in now but I think that it is definitely something that's really important for me personally and I can see it with the team that I'm growing out here, they, they kind of they wanted to join something like Chargeify because they could feel like they can make a big impact and they're not just kind of another cog in the system, which you could easily be in a big, massive corporate or a PLC. Uh, startups have kind of really changed that mindset and give everyone kind of their own autonomy uh, to kind of pave their own career. Yeah, and I guess if you look at companies like Slack, <coughs> Slack have helped you guys go further because when you're in lockdowns, it's easy to communicate with each other. Yeah, yeah. So like we leverage like the Slack and Zoom and, um, to have like team meetings, team stand-ups now with us all going remote again here. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important, especially as the team grows and we're adding new uh, team members in Dublin, people being able to meet each other and even just have virtual coffees and stuff like that. Now, I don't think, me personally, I don't think that remote work will completely um, come into effect. I know some companies will start remote first, but me anyway, I, I much prefer the kind of office environment. Happy to do a few days working from home. I know we all have kind of busier lives than ever and no one likes doing long commutes anymore, but I do like the kind of camaraderie of a team and, and kind of building those personal relationships and, and talking to people on, on a daily basis. I think the going from Zoom to hang out to Zoom to Zoom all day, I come back with like splitting yeah. headaches. I think I just, I, I miss the kind of just chatting on the floor. Yeah, I found companies now are looking at doing hybrid models where you work in the office some days a week and you work at home the rest of the week. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's something I'm going to support as well. Um, 
I uh, I think that that's the kind of the, the perfect uh, the perfect um, model yeah. that you give people a bit of flexibility that they can work from home and they don't feel pressure when they do, and um, that you trust them enough, you give them the responsibility to kind of to get their work done, uh, and you're not kind of over their shoulder. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you want to kind of build relationships with people that you work with. I feel, and I think the best way to do that is to have that in an office environment. Uh, and there's a lot of kind of uh, idea, kind of sharing and whiteboarding sessions that really happen in person. I think that are very difficult to replicate online. Um, a lot of the time, by the end of the evening, people are tired and stuff like that just from being on calls all day, whereas I think a lot of creativity happens in person. I remember early in the year, I did a podcast with a, with a woman who does mental health stuff, and she gave me tips on how to combat Zoom fatigue, which I never heard of. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got these, uh, I think I can give a bit of a, an Irish shout-out to the the amber eyewear guys so I'm using these kind of blue light glasses yeah. so I've just been getting headaches from being on uh, on Zooms all day and that's kind of worked wonders for me you know I remember she told me basically what you, you can do I said I've never heard of Zoom fatigue she goes oh you will it's going to become very prominent soon because people are going to be in the Zoom more and more and the problem is she said for example that when you're using tools like Zoom your brain thinks it's a business tool so because of that when it's sticking with a business tool it suddenly uh, acts that way and you and and you feel the way. I told her, fucking if I do, I used to do a lot of my podcast interviews here in Lockdown, I used to do them via FaceTime. Because yeah. I said, when I was doing that, people people would think of FaceTime as a personal tool, not a business tool. So the brain wouldn't think it was a business tool because, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So I do a lot of, yeah. of interviews via that. And it worked very well. And when you're doing that, you could be an hour on a, on a FaceTime call. You don't feel stressed. But you're an hour on a Zoom call or Google Hangouts or even a Skype, it can be different. Yeah, yeah. No, completely agree. And I, I guess also, I'm thinking about that, for you guys, you've got to make sure that any tools you're using are safe and secure as well because of what, what kind of things you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, obviously. We're kind of um, fully GDPR compliant and all that good stuff. Uh, and in order to do that, we need to be kind of ensuring that we're working with vendors that are, are likewise um, so all that is handled by our kind of IT and security team over in the States. So all pre-vetted before it gets to me, but I know we're kind of using the best SaaS tools around, so um, yeah. there won't be any issues there. Because I, I, I can imagine there's a scenario like early in the year, people were saying, you can't use that product or that product because we don't know, because it's it's actually taking data from you or to listen to what you're saying. So you got to make sure that whatever you're doing, it's uh, it's going to work for you guys, does a good job. You don't have any issues in the long term. Yeah, and obviously, like with Chargeify in particular, like we're a fintech tool. Yeah. Um, we deal with credit card information, SEPA direct debit information, uh, really kind of sensitive data. So obviously, we are PCI level one compliant. That's the most compliant you can be, um, and that's something that we obviously pride ourselves on uh, is on that kind of data protection and security piece. Um, because um, obviously, when you're working with big businesses and they're putting all their revenue through a system like Chargeify, you have to be someone that they can trust uh, and ensure that there's no leakage there. Um, because it is, it is so important. Yeah, and I guess the moment you get one breach, that's the trust ebbing away, and and they're gonna they're gonna think, how long was it before you told us the breach occurred? And if you're honest and said, oh, the breach occurred uh, yesterday, they might admire them more because you're honest and said what happened, and then you you explain to them, well, it happened because of this, but it won't happen again because we're doing that. That's what people like to hear. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think like especially in the SaaS industry, with everyone kind of using each other's um, tools, um, it's like a lot smaller than people think it is. Yeah. And, like you deal with kind of 
similar people over and over again when they move different companies. So it is all about building relationships and long-term partnerships. So I think all that stuff is very important. You can remember a few years ago when Sony got breached <clears throat> and, how, and how, how bad that was. Or when Yahoo got breached and it took three, four years for people know they were breached. That kind of stuff kind of, is kind of scary, especially with Yahoo with the amount of details they had of like, if you were in Flickr, which they own and you're paying a monthly fee, they had your financial details. Mm. Yeah, like I'm, I think I'm a, on a personal level, like from a, like, uh, a personal user, like I, I do get a bit paranoid about the likes of kind of Facebook and, and Twitter and, and Instagram and all that stuff and the kind of the, the information they're tracking. I know I've been watching more Netflix than ever in the lockdown situation. Yeah. So like that social dilemma movie or um, documentary kind of was a, a bit of a, an eye opener. Um, so it is a bit kind of, uh, on a personal level, yeah, it is a bit, it is a bit scary. You know, I've made sure that any social media company I, I, I use, a product I use, I don't give my my payment details. So they don't know anything mm. about that. I, don't, I just can't trust them for that at the moment because I just don't know what's going to happen. And also, I don't want them to build up on me a profile based on what, I've, what I'm doing. So that if they do that, they can track f- from what I'm buying. They might be able to tell what kind of person I am and target ads directly at me. A bit like when Minority Report. I don't ask target to watch me specifically. So I want to make sure that any ads that I'm coming at me is mainly because it was on Amazon looking at something. An ad might appear because it was on Amazon, but it won't appear because they know that I was looking at a certain video on Facebook and suddenly this ad appears because of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like, like from like the ad perspective, um, yeah, I try to kind of stay off the social media as much as possible. Um, the retargeting stuff can get a bit freaky after a while. Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, at, at times you'd be wondering, like, You'd be walking past somewhere and suddenly that appears for, for coffee discounters. How did I always walk past the coffee shop? And then you realize, oh, my phone must have pinged and let it know where I was. You get that kind of scenario, yeah. which, which I, I think is kind of creepy. Yeah, no, I, like, we, I think it was back when we were kind of just out of the lockdown and we were able to have a few people back in the office for a while. We got the Amazon Alexa Echo and yeah. um, just for the officer playing kind of the radio in the background. Um, and even that's a bit freaky. It feels like uh, the things listen to you half the time. But uh, yeah. yeah. I know certain companies don't allow you to have it in your home. Like if you're, if you're in a working for a law firm, it's a no-no. So working from home in lockdown, they'll tell you, if you've got Amazon Alexa or anything I've got, unplug it. Really, yeah. That's the first I've heard of that. Yeah. Must, uh, must keep an eye on our Alexa. And then there was a thing as well early in the year. Do you hear about the uh, Alexa clown laugh? During the middle of the night, people woke up by, by the clown laughing. And it, it was Alexa. No, I actually didn't hear that. No. Yeah, it was, uh, it was around, it was around this time last year, it was, it was kind of, kind of people were talking about, they woke up and I heard this clown laughing and, and turned out it was Alexa doing this. So I'm kind of worried about uh, how does technology listen to what you're doing and what you're saying. And especially if we're working from home a lot more now, remote working. There's going to be clause in your contract saying that if you're working from remotely from home, and you have any of the devices, if they're if they're not uh, turned off, you could be you could be fired because you breach of regulations, maybe. Yeah, no, it's the first I've heard of that. To be honest, yeah, um, don't know too much about it. It's it's going to become more prominent in the future because as we rely more and more on these devices in our in our homes, you're going to find out whenever you you use. Time for a job when you get in your contract or everything else, it'll be in there somewhere asking about this. Do you have any advice in your home? What are they used for, etc.? And making sure that, because I know if you're in a law firm and you work from home, 
you don't want somebody listening to, to what you're saying or what you're doing or phone calls you're making or anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy. It's kind of scary. So, getting back to you guys, where do you plan to be going in the next five years in in, in Europe and Ireland? Yeah, so, like, taking kind of the next year, um, first, like, we obviously want to grow the business um, year on year, like, 100% when it comes to customer acquisition. Um, so, um, new customer logos, and we're kind of working with some some big players now already since kind of uh, setting up shop in March. And um, obviously the kind of the sales cycle can be a bit longer with something like Chargeify as it is billing. It's yeah. quite um, robust and multi multifaceted. So it kind of touches on multiple systems in a, in a business. So anything from your finance department, accounting department, sales, support, etc. So we're kind of really finding our feet now. So looking to kind of grow the customer base 100% year on year and then also to grow the team. So obviously I was the first um the first kind of um, employee in uh, Dublin. Uh, we're now at eight. And as I said, by the end of 2021, we look to be at 30 people across sales support, customer success, and maybe some project management roles as well. And for those roles, where do you go to apply for them? Is it on your website? Yeah, so all our kind of, all our roles are published published on our, our website. Um, it is kind of, obviously, with the, the COVID situation, obviously some businesses haven't been that fortunate. So it has kind of shifted heavily from, an employee-led market to an employer-led market. Yeah. So are, there are some great candidates out there in Dublin who have been unfortunately kind of let go from some big tech companies. Um, so I think that like the talent pool is stronger than ever in Dublin. Um, so we haven't had any trouble with uh, recruitment to date. That's good to hear. And I think in a, uh, I can see in about five years' time, maybe move to bigger offices. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're already kind of starting the conversation because we have a 12-month lease here we can already see um, we're in kind of like a 15-person office. And especially if you want to adhere to social distancing when people do come back, we'll probably need a bigger space. So um, we will probably outgrow this office in the next few months um, and kind of find a, a better, more permanent space again. Yeah, I knew a company who uh, I was a, interviewed them about a year or so ago in Cork, and they'd moved into offices about a year before that. And then after they, they were there, they realized we need a bigger boat. We can't, we can't move anymore. We've got to get somewhere else. So they bought into another new premises, which they moved into. And they had but three or four floors of that premises they were going to use. Two of them were empty. Said, no, that's for the future. We realise we're going to, in the future, we're going to be using that a lot more. But now in the pandemic, I can see it be used, is, that's not going to be the case, maybe. Yeah, I know it's weird. I think there's been a shift in commercial real estate anyway. I think that the kind of um, the shared working um the shared working offices will really kick off in a big way. Um, you can obviously take a bigger space. You can yeah. kind of continue to grow, uh, but you do have that. Um, you, you have to factor in that a lot of people won't come into the office every day. So maybe if you have 30 people, we maybe only need an office for 20 because we're never going to have 30 people in all the same. Um, I was thinking that basically if you uh, decide to move into a shared workspace, because you work maybe a hybrid model, you can have all your staff using that space different times a week. So if you got if you got thirty desks and you got forty or fifty staff, you know that certain days of the week, certain staff will work from home, so it can be shared out. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's almost like it's like uh, these working or like almost offices moving to a SaaS model that it's kind of pay pay to play, um, and you only kind of pay for what you use, um, and the desks or seats become almost like a, a per license model in the sense that you only ever need maybe 20 at full capacity, even though the office might get to 30 next year. Yeah, so I was looking basically like uh, that business is now moving to a SaaS model the way of thinking that you uh, pay to play. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's the, the way things are going. I think there's going to be so much commercial real estate available in Dublin now over the coming months uh, with this kind of hybrid approach or companies going work from home. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. Hopefully it might bring the prices down at uh, my apartment. Uh, you never know uh, with people kind of looking to move and work out in the, the countryside um, and not want to be contained to the city centre. Yeah, because where I live, near by me there was a, there was a building built... Uh, uh, near an old on post building, it was called. I think it's Thornton Office, and it was it was a uh, off Cardiff Lane, and I think Google, Facebook were going to move in there. Microsoft suddenly they didn't because of the pandemic. I think someone else is going to move in there, but it's kind of tricky when that happens. Yeah, I think there's a lot of companies that are in, in difficult situations with kind of long term leases, and um, that they're probably looking to get out of now, uh, or just looking to build new. Um, new offices that's why I think uh, we're kind of in um, an iconic office now which is kind of a, a co-working environment we have our own private office and we can expand as we wish and we can move to new premises so I think that is kind of like uh, it's a lot more flexible for the kind of way of things are moving in a more kind of flexible dynamic uh, working environment yeah I think that could be the future because if you're a company and you're, and you're not sure when you're going to expand up or down I mean suppose you're going to have working for you in the future because of what's going on at the moment you can decide just okay because if we're working via hybrid model way, we can decide uh, who comes and who doesn't come in the office certain days of the week. Yeah, I actually I really do love it because it means that I can focus on the kind of the more day to day things that are charge of fire related and kind of outsource um, like the office and mail handling and Wi Fi and all the really critical stuff to running a successful software business yeah. um, that goes under under the hood a bit. So it means that like when we have two two new starters, we can just say we need two new desks in one Monday. Um, now, obviously, that's kind of a pipe dream at the moment as we go, we're in this current lockdown situation. But hopefully we come out the other side and we can continue to, to grow in an office environment. And just before we finish off this conversation, what do you think? Uh, do you think that in the future we're all going to be living in a hybrid model or is it going to be basically fully back in the office? Yeah, I think, personally, I think anyway, in the tech industry, in the, the SaaS industry, which I've kind of spent my whole career, is definitely going to be a hybrid model. I think people will realize the amount of time they've got back in their day, especially from transport, and yeah. um, public transport or driving. Uh, having gone an hour or two hours back in your day is lovely. For, it gives you time to kind of go for a walk or get exercise in the morning or in the evening. Um, so I think that that will be a big push, especially if people have young families or kids. It can be a lot more uh, accessible for them to work from home the odd day. Uh, but I do think that the office will be important to kind of grow those those social ties with your coworkers, yeah. uh, and that for that creativity piece, um, looking to kind of brainstorm in a team session, uh, there's no better place to do it than in kind of a, a boardroom or in an office. So I think that I think that is the future. I don't think any company or any software company is going to push hard on you have to be in the office at, um, Monday to Friday nine to five or nine to six. But then I know the likes of Google and and and. Facebook and stuff have kind of gone to a remote first. Yeah. I don't think that that's going to be sustainable long term as well. I think that we will see, um, I think we mentioned it, like the, the Zoom fatigue or Hangouts fatigue and, yeah. and people just kind of get sick of kind of running their lives online. Yeah, and also they're sick of not having the, the moment where they go to water cooler and suddenly they get a light bulb moment because they chance have an idea. That's not going to be happening much at the moment because of that. Yeah, no, I used to, I love kind of going into that, like the micro kitchen to make a coffee or it kind of gets you away from your desk and it means a bit of free thought and you can meet someone else in another department and even just speaking to them about their day and you tell them about what your day, what you've been up to and, and kind of it builds a lot of synergy and cross collaboration. You can see that you can help each other out and it makes you feel a bit more better about the work you're doing 
uh, and then them likewise. Um, so it feels like a more kind of a, a team goal that we're going to grow a business together. Yeah. Anyway, Mark, on, 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 on that note, thanks for a great conversation and good luck in the future. And hopefully, bring it back to some normality where you're able to do a bit of both. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I no, appreciate you taking the time, Ron. It's been great to kind of talk about Charlie our growth plans in, in EMEA and especially in the Dublin office and even no. kind of the future of tech, the future of software. Yeah, no problem. Take care and have a great day.
you said yourself, maybe in the form of a hologram, but uh, you'll be paying a significant amount more for a service that has a human in 100 years' time, I might suggest. Yeah. Okay, I'm thinking of the TV show, The IT Crowd, where they always just say, uh, we try to turn off and on again. Or internet was in a box. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's the fabulous part of IT. Yeah. That, that's the, uh, the good, bad and the ugly. Yeah. But sometimes it works, let's be fair. It's something I do by default at first. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know it works because you, you've done it so much over the years that you know issues. Yeah. This way we've done it and it works. You got other guys haven't got it, but you've got that and you know exactly. basically that people want a human being on the end. It might cost us more money to do this, but in the long term means that we will get to repeat business. what I think as a society and I think uh, we've probably undervalued for a very long time companies that give us the service um, with the human touch that go above and beyond we'll stay loyal to them but I think we've accepted that it's sometimes okay to stay on hold or to go through a list of pressing certain digits to get to speak and and that's just not okay yeah because when you need service and you need support you need to talk to someone because when you go and throw you pressing buttons, press button one, then he gave you an option of, of things. So you spend five minutes on the phone going through all, all his options. Before finally you said, you want to talk to a human being, press zero. Why couldn't that be there from the very start? Yep, absolutely. Instead of pressing star and zero and hash and hoping somebody will pick up the phone. Yeah, and then they'll go, okay, so what is, what is uh, the problem you're facing? Are you a home user, or a business user, and what if you're what if you're both? You, you got to choose one or the other, and then when you get somebody in the end, oh sorry, you treated to the wrong person. I only do business; I don't do home. <laughs> yeah, and and that's where your frustration and your stress levels increase. Yeah, and then that's it, not something you want to be dealing with as a customer. And then you put back on hold to somebody else to deal with. So yeah, we'll put you back on hold, and you're waiting for somebody to pick it up, and then suddenly yeah. your call gets dropped. So you're starting again from zero, and you're you're. Uh, Temperature is rising and you're starting again, hoping you don't cut you off like last time. Mm-hmm. And imagine how you're feeling when you eventually get to talk to somebody. You're so cross that articulating what your issue is is now diluted because you're so cross with the experience you've had before you even get to someone who can help solve your problem. Yeah, and you're sitting there going, and I don't want to effing blind and swear, but that, I'm... I'm you're thinking you don't swear, but you end up do swearing of some sort because of what's going on. You can't handle it. The stress gets to you. Mm. Yeah. And that's why I think it's ever more important to look at what you're paying for and to make sure there's the level of value. You may not be paying the 10 or 20 broadband service. You may end up paying the 30 or 40 or 50 euro. But when you do, be assured you've got a service that that's backed by. Because... I've had it's not, I'm, I'm lucky that with my broadband, I've had no issues. A couple of times it's, it's gone down, but just trying to move them off and on again, it, it's been good. But I know others who've had other issues with broadband, and it, it, it can be a pain to deal with because you're not always dealing with a person who understands what you're going through, and you're waiting a long time to get through to them. And even then, they can't help you because they've got a limited scope of what they can do. Yeah, um, and... Solving that problem in the first call resolution, as I'd mentioned earlier, that's a stat that a company can measure their performance. Yeah. It's not thinking about the customer. Yeah. 
Because I know for a fact that my parents' broadband... That's what's most important. Is, ...is bad. I won't say who they're with, but their provider times could be... Uh, ...is not doing things that could be done. And when you call up with a few queries, sorry, we, do, we don't support that. Try using something else. And I'm thinking, hold on, well, I'm talking about the most popular product in the market for certain, pro- certain, the certain things, and you, you're saying we don't support it. I don't quite get that, but that's their way of trying to make sure that they don't have to do, do, deal with clients or customers. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a broadband service. If it's if, if job is to, of a broadband provider is to make sure that your parents' home is serviced with the speeds that they firstly paid for, and that the service is a reliable service, that it can function as they expect it to function. Yeah, well, in case, At a minimum, any service provider has to be delivering that. Yeah, well, in that case, it wasn't speed. It was the fact that they were trying to get email working on a new computer. And it wasn't, uh, they weren't being supported. It, the service wouldn't support Outlook properly. And they were told, you, your best yeah. thing to support is to use our webmail service. That works better. Now, POP3 and SMTP mail, they're always going to be there for us. They're, they're cornerstones to, to, to standard email platforms. So I think any broadband connection needs to be able to support either a POP3 or a, an SMTP email. Well, it didn't end by using an alternative product, but the one that we all, all used to using doesn't work with it, and it's kind of strange. So I managed to get my father working in a workaround, but I said, don't go on your webmail because there's no point doing that. You don't need that at all. So, but uh, on that yeah. note, I mean, I'm looking that there's guys like you who are able to go out there and provide a service that works. You're a human being, you have a human touch, and no one's suddenly going to feel feel angry or sad because they're not getting what they pay for. Exactly, there's a value in good service. Yeah, and for a long time, it's been it's been undervalued, but it's 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 time to realize of the value of a full service. Yeah, and Louise, on that note, thanks for, for, uh, for a great enlightening chat. It was good talking to you, and uh, hopefully the p- pandemic is, is, is going to be good for you guys and that you're not sitting in one of those businesses that suddenly have issues and that when the Barbaran plan is fully co- come to light, you guys are involved some way along the line or helping to uh, fill, uh, fill the gap. I believe it will, Rodan. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, thanks for that. Take care. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.